This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The name of our message today is entitled, The Making of a Patriarch, Part 2. This week's message is on the name, because actually you wouldn't actually have a patriarch without a name. The reason why God is a patriarch is because he has 43 of the most powerful names known to mankind. Probably, most likely, assuredly, known to eternity. How many names does Jesus Christ have, supposedly? 225. It is a mixture of Hebrew and Greek names, not just Greek. God the Father has 43 primary names, and they're all Hebrew. There are no Greek names of God. The translators had to translate them over into Greek to write the name of God in the New Testament. How many are aware of the fact that a true Orthodox Jew cannot speak the name of God? That's how powerful it is to them. So for the New Testament to actually try to write one of the names of God, they consider that um, bad. But it's not. So God has 43 primary Hebrew words, zero Greek, and for those of you who are new to the difference between the Greek and the Hebrew, Hebrew is what the Old Testament was written of, and Greek was what the New Testament was written from, or two. Any scholar who tries to do any work between the Hebrew and the Greek has to have a good understanding of the 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 cultural and the language of Hebrew in order to really grasp what the New Testament is saying. This word, name, is one of those words that is very difficult, if not impossible, to translate over into the Greek. Any of the words directly associated with the word patriarch is very difficult to translate it over. But, as usual, my Hebrew kids will come up and we are going to illustrate for you the Hebrew word name. Any volunteers? Gracie, you want to help me with the Hebrew word? No? Tori, do you want to help me with the Hebrew word? Grace, will you do it with her? Stand over here. Okay, so we're going to have uh, Tori. You're going to be teeth. And you're actually going to have to show your teeth. Okay? <laughs> and Gracie is going to be water, strong water. So, so, Tori, all you have to do is just show your teeth. Okay? <laughs> And Gracie, you're going to be strong water, so you're going to go like this. Okay? Are you ready? No! One, two, I'll do it with you, Gracie. One, two, three, go! Show your teeth! Show your teeth! Kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Wait till we get it on video. Okay, thank you for helping me. Remember this symbol, and I'm, I've made the transition of moving over into modern Hebrew. And every once in a while, I'll take you back to the original ancient Hebrew that's got the pictures, but I want you to get used to these symbols. Because believe it or not, soon and very soon, we're going to read a whole passage in Hebrew together. And you're going to look at these and go, oh, I know what that is. That's teeth. 
or fire. And that's water. So it'll begin to, enough of it, really there's not that many symbols to memorize. So in a couple of years from now, you probably are going to be able to read a full verse, or maybe even passage in the Hebrew. But it is, interesting thing is, is the word name, Shem, happens to be one of the definitions used to define the word name. Who was Shem? Okay. He had two other sons. Who were they? Okay. And what happened with Ham? Just him? The last hour. That's where the Muslims come from. From Ham. Who comes from Japheth? No. The Europeans. And the Asians. And then the last lineage you have is Shem. And who came from Shem? God's people. The authentic Jewish bloodline. And isn't it interesting that one of the definitions for name is Shem and God saying this is the only name. This is the only lineage. Now the the Europeans can be grafted in because I'm European. That's what white people are. We can be grafted into this name Shem by becoming born again. But it is not, I am not an authentic bloodline. I may have traces in me because of, you know, how the relative thing goes. I may have traces in me, but I am not an authentic bloodline. In other words, I'm not an authentic Jew. By being grafted in through the born-again experience, I have become a part of the name. Okay? This is the document that I was uh, sharing with you that's on our website that you can go and actually uh, read the Hebrew and, and what the definition is and what the verses are that's directly associated with, with that particular name. Okay. When you hear your name called out, now this may, this may be a vulnerable time for some of us, but when you hear your name called out, what, what comes to your mind? I know for a long time when I heard Stephen, I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> you know, because parents have a tendency, when, you're, when, when, you, when your kids are in trouble, your mom or your dad will say your first name, your middle name, and your last name. Stephen, right, Finney? So when I would hear my name, I think, I'm in trouble. And I was. <laughs> so what do you think of when you hear your name? I like it when Phil calls me my name. Okay. So it's a tender mm -hmm. reminder. Good. Have you guys ever um, heard or read the verse, there's power in a name? The power of your character comes from your name. If you do not embrace your name, you're not embracing the power of the character of your name. My parents were about as unsaved as you can get when I got named. But my name means crowned one. Now my mother actually used to say, I'm going to crown you. <laughs> she did. That was one of the things she would say to me. And years later, when I discovered what my name really meant, she had no clue. I said, well, why did you name me Stephen? And particularly Ray. It's like something off a commercial or something. Uh, she, she didn't know why. And so my name actually means crowned one that sheds light. And it's what I do today. Well, isn't God in charge of our names even though uh, my parents were, were unsaved and walking after their flesh? Walking in their flesh? Yes, He is. We get all creative and look at the, the names in the books and think we're being so unique and individualistic and in picking our names. And God is literally directing the mind to pick 
the most appropriate name according to his divine character. Every name that is chosen to be an elect, that is, which is chosen to be a child of God, which ultimately you will be in heaven someday, every name is to be revealing a characteristic of the patriarch. Well, a testimony is not your story about receiving Jesus Christ. A testimony is a story of someone who has passed the test. The Old Testament are Old Testament characters who have passed the test and made it. The New Testament is for us to see who is going to endure to the end. Because the verse says, those who are saved, those who endure to the end are saved. So the New Testament is that the people who have passed the test to the end. Your name is what bears forth the very character of God. Part of God's character is His Son. Part of the character of the Son is the crowned one. You see that? My parents had no clue what they were naming me. And so my whole ministry, without me even planning it, is to glorify the crowned one, Jesus Christ. And I am to be a, a ray of light. I am to be a to reflect the light of God. There's also a negative list that comes with our name. We'll cover a different day. And you find that in the Bible, there are a lot of the definitions of of characters in the Bible. The definitions of those names are, are not pleasant, like Jacob, deceived one, and one who deceives. That's why God had to rename a lot of his people in the Old Testament. Names are very powerful, and names are very important. This is the passage that we have been uh, trying to uh, plow our way through here the past couple weeks. But to read it very quickly, and then we're going to break it down. And it is now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. Now I've actually talked to a shepherd a couple times in my life. And they verify that you don't lead sheep, you follow them. But when you have to lead them, you have to use your hook and the rod. Thy rod and thy staff it comfort me. They just, they just go where it's green. And you've got to use the hook to pull them away from certain things. And you've got to use the rod to get them motivated to go in a certain direction. So they automatically don't follow. It's hard work. And the worst type I've learned over the past several weeks as I've been researching are goats. Because they are, they, they are the very thing that in Scripture that tells us of what to warn the sheep about. They're independent. They're arrogant. They're loud. They're costly. They devour everything in sight. And they, and they love potato chips. And marshmallows. And marshmallows. Junk food. So we're going to talk about how David's actually being called away from following sheep and following someone else. But he was a good shepherd. He knew his job. So to be a ruler over my people Israel, and I've been with you uh, wherever, I think there's a letter missing there, uh, wherever you have gone and have cut off all of your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. And we're going to be obviously talking about that today. I will also appoint you a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from this day that I commanded uh, judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. 
The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Alright, so let's break it down. This is the first verse that we just read. Servant, and that H means Hebrew. Servant in the Hebrew means bondage. Bondman and set aside for service. A Greek word picture, believe it or not, there, there are many Greek word pictures for the Old Testament, is a branding iron. So during the slave days, it was very common to brand these slaves. So that they were like cows. If they drifted off into the, the uh, plantation next to you, they know that they, you know that they belong to Bob in the plantation next to you. They use tattoos. Tattoos are always and, and have been from the beginning a way to brand people. It's to mark them. It is a setup for the mark of the beast and also a setup for the ultimate mark of God. So that's what we're talking about here, branded people. But in a very positive sense, not in a negative sense. So took is God taking David out of this pasture. Took actually means to buy or to carry away. So it's not just, you're coming with me. It is him saying, I bought you with a price. So God paid the price to take this young man and turn him into a patriarch. And as someone pointed out last week, no it wasn't, it was an email I got from someone who listened to the message. They said, what's the deal on David not being the oldest in his family and God picks him not being a patriarch? See, a patriarch has the right to overlook certain sons. Because he understands if their character is what is assigned or not assigned to carry on the family's mission. David's brothers did not have that. They were great warriors. They were of a good name. Jesse. But they were not God's pick to establish this position of patriarch over the whole land of Israel. So the patriarch has that prerogative to skip over a son and give it to a different son. Key thing to keep in mind. Follow means to strongly separate and make a path. So in order, this is, this is key for David because in order for God to say, you're not going to follow sheep anymore. You're going to have to take your rod and your staff. And you're going to have to separate. This is an act of separating the goats from the sheep. And this is going to take work now, David. You're going to have to use your hook and your, your rod a lot with what I'm about to call you to do. I don't think David, I'm assuming, he had no clue what God was talking about. The sheep means flock or men. So if you read that passage from that, from that perspective, he's basically saying, I'm going to cause you not to follow men anymore. You're a man follower. You're a man pleaser. Not that David was. But he was just easily moved according to what his brothers wanted, what his friends wanted, just easily moved. And the God, the patriarch is saying, oh no, not anymore. No more following the flocks. You are going to follow me. And for a patriarch not to use his hook and not to use his rod is the absolute worst example to children. Because it's saying that fathers, patriarchs, are passive, rebellious, and they want the children to be led to the enemy, to the slaughterhouse. This is the strength of what God is talking about with David here. He can't have passivity. He cannot risk it. Because this mission that God is about to appoint to David is going to require an unbelievable amount of strength. And not following the sheep. Not following the men. And then we have ruler, which is actually a commanding patriarch. 
So if you're a ruler over a nation, ruler over a people, which we're going to learn here very soon, there's no such thing as nations. There's only people. You can draw the lines on the map if you want. But there are no nations. There are a people who God calls a nation. He calls us a nation. And this is very critical in the end times because the Antichrist is going to erase the lines on the map. Do you understand that? Someday there's going to be maps given to you that have no lines on the maps. Because he's going to say they're all mine. And when it comes, the Antichrist thinks it's all about land and maps. And God's going, no, it was about people who I called nations. Which I'm going to show you what nations means here very quick, quickly. So to rule over is to know, control, or have authority. So you see, David, I want you to rule over them with a staff in your hand and a rod in your hand. By the way, if you haven't noticed, these two objects are found in every kingdom on the face of the earth. Jess and I and Jane toured uh, the uh, tower in England where they kept all these valuable staffs and rods with gold and silver and emeralds and whatever. They turn them into these very, very fancy looking things, but originally what they stood for was a staff, which is this, and the ones we see in the picture books have got hooks on them, so you could hook them around the neck to pull them back. Staffs are for warning, rods are for discipline. Staffs are for warning, rods are for discipline. So a patriarch is warning people, and correcting people. So when a patriarch or a father of a home does not do that, the children run astray. Right into the hand of the enemy. Right to the slaughterhouse. Israel actually means he will rule as God. guess that's not really much of a surprise to us. It doesn't mean God's nation, God's country. God's middle name, it's he will rule. So then we got to obviously talk about uh, rule what. So here's our verse in summarization. David was God's bond slave, branded one. David was God's branded one, set aside for a divine purpose. I bought you and carried you away from following men to be a patriarch and controller over my people, which is Israel, so that I can rule over what belongs to me. See, all of this belongs to God, right? Everything. These lamps, the houses, the land, it's all God's. We can write our names on it, copyright it, sue people who use our stuff. But it's God's. So, when we try to take possession over what belongs to the patriarch, we have become the goat that misleads the people away from the patriarchs. That's what goats do. Leads the sheep away from the shepherd. Now, here's something that's very interesting that I read on the internet last week. Sheep follow goats. They just follow them. They just, without question, they just follow them. And goats never follow anything, anyone, any animal, but each other. But they won't flock and herd together. They keep their space. So here is a shepherd who loves these sheep, and these sheep won't even follow him without a staff and without a rod. But a goat comes along, <laughs> off they go, following the goat, eating junk food. 
think there's a message there that preaches all by itself. Yeah. Okay, the name. This is the second verse we already read. So taking some of those words, breaking them down, Ben is continuing light or a continuing beacon. The actual illustration that I found, which was too much to print, but it was holding up a light so that the fishermen could find the shore. That's the beacon. I'm over here. So I have been, I have been this light, this beacon, to guide you and direct you to where secure land is. This is what God is saying to David before David could even realize who God was. God has been this beacon for David before birth. So gone is walked, so I have been with you wherever you have gone. It is wherever your path has taken you, I've been there. You weren't alone. So all these stuff we read about David accomplishing out there, shepherding sheep and getting rid of the goats, God was right there empowering him. To cut actually means to cut flesh. So as we read along here, wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies, God's actually saying, I've cut on your enemy. Remember that one time when God removed like 10,000 men for David? That's a lot. I mean, standards today, that's a lot in one day. So God's saying, I'll cut on your enemy. You don't have to worry about it. Don't get upset. Don't, get, don't worry. I will cut them. I will keep them away from you. But if you sin, I will not. And that is the Psalms. David's constant battle in writing songs and poems about God's here today is not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Because David was struggling with the message of what you're reading. God's promise. I'll do the cutting. Just walk. Just live, David. The enemies is those who hate or are hostile. It's kind of common sense, I think. Before means in the face of. So it's like in your face. Great actually is elder or patriarch. So our beginning verse in Isaiah that talks about the elder is the, anyone can recall that from memory? The elder is the, and the false teacher is the, you have the Alpha and Omega. You have Genesis and you have the book of Revelation. So, Satan is the tail. God, the patriarch, is the head. That's what is being revealed there. And then the name, which means Shem, mark of the best. In other words, the Shem is the best. And you've been marked with the best. It also means honor. So whoever comes from Shem is honored Whoever comes from Shem has a special uh, anointing of authority. Names is just a little bit different. It is directly connected to this, but it is a different Greek word, and it means mighty. So when you put two or more names that come from Shem... You have mighty men. Now there's a verse in the New Testament that Jesus said something about two or more. Does anyone know what, what that verse is? Two or more. Where two or more gathered in my name, I shall be there. Where two or more names are gathered in my name. I'll be there. 
that's what's being said. This is, this is a prophetic statement that God is saying, speaking over David. Did David catch it? No. It's just like 99.9% .9 of you are going to walk out today and go, that was a cool sermon, I think. We won't understand the power of these words being spoken until halfway through the week we think of a word or we think of what was said and when we go, oh my goodness. That's the job of the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance, this is John chapter 8, 28, to bring to remembrance the words of Jesus. And that is referencing the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is to bring to remembrance the words of Jesus. I am a very, very experienced teacher. I'm 55 or 6 or something right around in there. And I've been teaching since high school. So I understand this one principle. People aren't going to get what you're talking about. But you will be planting seeds. So two years, 20 years, you know how it works. You have your great aha moment. So what appears to be a rebellious child not listening, the seeds are going in. And the Holy Spirit will bring those to remembrance someday. I and you can count on that. The earth means firm land. Pretty simple, huh? This is God's firm land. It's where he's going to build his house, as we're going to learn now. Here's the, summer, the summary of that verse. The patriarch has been a directional light for David's pathway since he was a young lad. He, God, has cut on the flesh of all those who hated or had been hostile toward David. He, the great patriarch, will make David an elder and patriarch, much like the patriarchs of the descendants of Shem, which he was a direct bloodline of. And he will give their land to David. Now, I want to show you something here. This, this when I was... Working on it, and in my office, I've got three screens going. I've got, I got my Bible up on one. I've got what I'm typing on one, and I've got the internet on one. I'm researching all these authors and blah blah blah. So I'm just, my mind is just going like swimming in the deep, trying to find the, the the fruit of a passage, and it hits me that all of what God worked at up to David, everything that came under the name of Shem was going to be handed over to him as a gift from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All of the work, the sweat, the death, the birth, the spankings, the growth, the blessings, Everything invested in the word Shem. Which the name Shem existed before Shem did. All of it was handed to David. And saying, now you are going to keep it in order for me. And you're going to have a son that's going to spend it like it's his own. But I'm giving it to you. And you need to establish order with it. In order to establish order with truth, you must be a patriarch. So I am going to make you an elder of all the people. And they will refer to your name until I come back. Come on, guys. Do, do Jewish people know who, who David is? Are you kidding? That's the name. Abraham and David. Isaac, Jacob, yeah, you hear them talked about too, but Abraham and David. So these truths, the land, the gold, the silver, everything is being given to David to manage it. Put it in some kind of order. Israel. Let's break this apart. I will also appoint a place for my people, Israel. Israel is a nation, are they or are they not? 
When did they become a nation? Before God created the earth. I know it was a trick question. But yes, in 48, the UN let them in to their little party so that they could be called a nation. <laughs> Do you think God was up there going, oh, finally, <laughs> thank you UN for bringing my people in. Are you kidding? The UN is nothing to God. They're wannabes. There are no nations except for God's people. Now, every race has their nation, yes. God speaks of it. But in the end, you're only going to three, see three nations. Israel, Islamic, and Europeans. That's it. The world is going to be divided into three pieces. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that God's going to form earthquakes year after year, year after year, until Israel is literally divided into three land masses. It's in the book of Revelation. I'm not making it up. All these earthquakes you're hearing about, and any kind of natural disaster is preparing the earth like a mother getting ready to give birth. And Israel is going to be divided into three pieces. And every superpower is going to have a piece of the pie. And the bride of Christ is going to come back on horses. And we are going to be situated on the piece. And the other two are going to go to war. During times. That's all you're going to see on the map during those days. is three superpowers. But there's only one that is really the superpower. The rest are just wannabes. But see, the Islamic people know what I'm talking about. They could listen to this, and if they are online, you know that I'm telling the absolute truth. It is blood that creates nation. It is not land. So they can claim to be a nation without having dirt. The Islamic people know I'm telling the truth. Many Jewish people know I'm telling the truth. So what the war is over Islamic and Jewish or Hebrew is the war over Abraham. Blood. I was first. No, you weren't. I was first. No, you weren't. You were second. Well, Abraham said I was first. That's what it is. Two spoiled children arguing over who was first. Why? Because you can't be a patriarch without being in first place. Either by birth or God saying, David, you're the first place guy now. Not your brothers or your eldest brother. You are. Remember that happened with Joseph too? Was he the firstborn son? No, he wasn't. But did God make him the patriarch? Of course he did. Okay, so a point is to mark a place, which is homeland. People is children. Israel, we already covered that. Plant is to affix in creation. And then to live is to reside in permanently reside is actually what the definition is. To reside in a place underneath the rule of. So today, we live in a world that despises being under the, the rule or leadership of a controller. I've been counseling since high school. And I test whom I love, as any father should test his children. And one of the ways that I test people is I force them to obey me. Well, I can't. It's ridiculous. But what do I do? Is I give them a command. And I don't care if it's, 
you know, take care of this detail for me, to whatever it is, read this chapter, I put a strong command out there to make, make them have this feeling of being underneath the rule. Because I need to know if they can follow rules or they'll never follow Christ. They won't. Their little emergent beliefs of being a Christian and following Jesus, I don't buy it. Unless they can submit themselves to governing authority. Hebrew, I mean, Romans 13 says, All authority that exists, exists by God. He who opposes these authorities opposes the patriarch. It is impossible to follow Jesus Christ and be a rebellion, a rebel. It's impossible. I will never buy anyone's Christianity that says I am a follower of Christ and they can't be told what to do. I will not buy it. It is the first rule in this little head of mine of salvation. Being told what to do. If you can't be told what to do, <laughs> you think that person's going to listen to Jesus? Or the Father? Are you kidding? That's a joke. When they can't even obey a little tiny little human. That is what is our responsibility to understand what God is saying to David. You will know who your rebels are because I am going to give you the authority to have rule over my people. In other words, I'm going to separate the goats from the sheep through the rules. Those who obey the rules are of me. Those who do not obey the rules are of the goats. Right out of Revelation. For there shall come a day where I will separate the goats from the sheep. Okay, so disturbed is to be afraid and to, and to tremble, which is kind of what the, even it says in the Greek. So the wicked is destroyer of a family name that you won't find in the Greek. So a wicked person, you say, oh, you're wicked. Well, to really keep with the definition of God, to be wicked, you actually have to be one who's working at destroying someone's name. So if someone is trying to, to kill your reputation in town, they're classified by the Hebrew de definition as a wicked person. That means they want their name higher, so everyone is about a, a name better than someone else's name. That's what it is. So God is saying to David, whenever you encounter someone who's trying to destroy your name, they're a wicked person. So he's given him very good insight on how to, how to find out who is wicked and who is not wicked. And then to afflict is simply to attack. And then finally, uh, number 11, formerly is first in place or rank. So now when we put all of this together, oh, we only got half the verse, that's right. So the day on the rest of this verse is uh, Yom, which is light of a path. That kind of makes sense what a day would be. Commanded is constituted, is to enjoin. It's actually like weaving carpet together. And then three judges is to pronounce a sentence. Defender of the law. Makes sense to us, hopefully. And then over, to have a judge over, it's with the eye. Now the Masons have got this, this eye on top of the pyramid. If you take out your dollar bill, you can see it. That's actually what they're communicating. It's a very old, old Hebrew uh, concept. Now the master masons from Tyree who built the temple believed that the master eye was overseeing the project. This is actually in our scriptures. They did this pyramid thing, this icon, and it literally became, later on, the seal, the great seal of the Masons. And that is an eye that oversees and acts as a judge 
of all the dead. The pyramid. The Masons actually believe dead people reside in other people. And that's where you get their haunted houses and all this weird kind of stuff, kids, that you need to understand does not exist. God's original is saying, David, you are going to be the eye over all of my rules. As judges have done this in the past, I'm giving this to you. Very, very heavy responsibility. Then to give rest, which is to quiet or to make lie down by still pastors. To declare is to certify or to make a contract. And then seven, a house actually means temple. When you look in the Hebrew at house, there is no definition that can be found of any other definition besides house meaning temple. So a father is the priest of his temple. You, your body, is a temple. Your head is the priest over your temple. So when God said in the New Testament, for I shall make you priests, that is what he is referencing. A priest over your own temple. So every house that is built, past, present, and the future, is a temple to God. What you do inside that house is gains God's attention. If you're sinning inside that house, God considers you sinning inside that temple. If you're sinning in your body's the temple, you are sinning inside God's temple. So a house is always connected to the idea of temple. Here's our summary. God will set a mark on his timeline to establish a homeland for his children, whom he calls ruled by God. Now if you take that sentence alone, I've asked God for these statistics and I know I'll never get them on this side. And I love statistics. I love seeing percentages and all that kind of stuff. But those are really kind of a joke anyway. Because only God knows exactly who really does believe. Not our surveys. But I do ask God the question, how many true indwelt Christians can actually be called ruled by God. Rule is control. It's strong. It's the rod. It's the hook. It's rule. You will do as I tell you. Whether he says it real strong or very quietly. It's the same thing to him. And the only thing I get in my prayer time is, Stephen, there are few And he knows the exact number. If he knows how many, you know, hair follicles I have, he certainly knows how many Christians can actually be ruled by a patriarch. So when I'm working with people, one of the things I watch for is who's ruling the house. The wife, the daughters, the son, all of them, the patriarch. That's who I watch for. And from there is when I can go to God in my prayer time and say, Father, I need confirmation that Phil is saved. I need confirmation that Mike is saved. I need confirmation that Q is saved. You see, I need confirmation, God, because the house is demonstrated being ruled by someone else other than the patriarch. It is at the core, it's at the root examining, me examining the root system, which is all I can do as a garden helper. And I look at the root and I go, well, that's not a patriarch root. That's all I've got as a worker. The visual examples that God says watch for if you want to find a wicked person, you want to find a patriarch, you want to find, you want to find, I told you what to look for. 
But oftentimes when I get real gutsy in a, in a, in a session and I look at the guy and I go, buddy, I, I don't think you're saved. Well, why do you say that? Because your wife rules your house. Now, I'm not saying he is for sure or he is not for sure. But it starts a discussion. And it wakes the wife up because I'll say it in front of her. You see, if he can't get out and hold his staff, power of God, and he can't use that rod to quiet the sheep, then I have to ask that question. I, I don't want him assuming his salvation is in his wife. That's another question I've asked God for over 20 years now. God, how many men actually are living off the Christianity of their wives? And when their wives aren't around, their wives aren't telling them what to do, the wives aren't reading the devotions, the wives aren't, the wives aren't, the wives aren't, the wives aren't. How many men are actually being Christian inside their homes? Versus living off of the Christianity of their wives. The answer is many. I get them in my office when I have them separated from their wives. And their wives go bad quickly when their wives aren't around. Their mothers aren't around. That person that they're look Christian, sound Christian, act Christian, smell Christian, because there's Christians around them. Okay, guys, now I don't want to get into the end times thing right now, but I, I'm going to give you this little piece. The world is as sweet and beautiful as it is today because you and I are living here. These emergent Christians that, are, that make up now of almost 40% of the world's population, I read recently in a survey that came from Europe, 40% of the world's population are Christians. You and I both know it's about, well, under 10%. True, indwelt, born-again Christians. The rest were Mormons, uh, Catholics, every cult you could possibly think of, I read the list and it was embarrassing to read and to be called Christian. When God himself would go, no, 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 no. These are not Christians. They think they're Christians. Now stay with me on this. They think they're Christians because we live here on earth. They're living off of our Christianity. That's what I'm saying inside the home. Your average male lives off the Christianity of his wife. He's not a true, authentic believer. When the rapture occurs, what? someone tell me what it is that Jesus is doing. Rapture is, comes from the Hebrew word rape. What is God doing? He's ripping away his children from the presence of the world. That is when you'll see the rebellious guy come into an office. His life is a train wreck because his wife is gone. What we see in marriage counseling is what the whole world is going to see after the rapture. When God reaches down and takes his true Christians off of the earth, everyone is going to turn to each other like, well, I thought, I thought it was a Christian. I, well, and they're just going to be wandering like, what happened? I thought it was one of them. <laughs> You're living off of your wife's Christianity. You're living off of the goodness and the presence of Christians. Guys, there's so much deception in the world today of people who think they're saved when they're not. Why? Because they can't be ruled. They can't be told what to do. The first test of any testament. He who loves me will keep my commandments. And that's in the New Testament. And I'm not 
talking about us living perfect lives. Are you kidding? No, we can't. It's an attitude of wanting to be ruled. That's what it is. He will affix them in his creation so that they can reside permanently in a place where I can rule them and not be afraid any longer of those who try to destroy or attack their family name, as in the past. You see, Stephen Ray Finney is not my name. My name is Stephen of Jesus Christ. It's actually of Jesus, the Christ. See, Jesus' name is not Jesus Christ, his first and last name. It is Jesus, the Christ, the patriarch, the son of the patriarch, which is soon going to be all handed to him. But that's what it is. I am Stephen of Jesus. That's originally where the term Christianity came from. Oh, you're of that Christ guy. Yeah, that's me. Stephen of Jesus. I am the name bearer of Jesus Christ. Even from the eldership that I constituted and purpose patriarchs to be supervisors and defenders of my law, I will quiet you and make you lie down in peace from all those who are hostile toward you. I also certify and contract with you that I will build a temple for you and a future or future patriarchs. Is God going to rebuild the temple? Third time's a charm. He's going to rebuild the temple. And Satan's going to take over that temple instantly. Satan knows what we have gone through today is absolute truth. He's got to take that house. He's got to attack your temples. He's got to get sin inside your temples. Here's our conclusion. A hero is one who lives and functions under the rule and supervision of a patriarch with joy and cheerfulness. This hero understands that it means to build a family that reflects the image of the patriarch. He's quick to light the pathway for his family in order to point the way of truth and light. The hero submits himself to the elders for training of biblical patriarchy. He quietly waits and endures life's challenges as he models the role of Jesus Christ to his family. So the reason why that we meet, like today, and there are hundreds of thousands of fellowships all over the world that meet like this. Some in parts of the world that if a soldier stormed in here, we would all be in serious trouble hearing this. I got to know quite well the regional director for the Islamic nation while in Phoenix. He helped me understand some very, very similar truths that the two of us live by. And the thing I took away most from that relationship, because being in the faith-based movement, I had to work with these people. He said to me, I have deep respect for you because you're not one of those Christians who worship many gods. See, even in his own thinking, he can have respect for a Christian who believes in one God, who believes in one way, who believes in one walk, and who's willing to be put to death, as I told him many times, put a sword to my throat, and I will die, speak in the name of Jesus. And he would say, put a sword to our throat, and we will die, speak in the name of Allah. Mutual respect. Because they took what we are covering here on Patriarch and they made it their own, rewrote some stuff, and now there will be a war to settle who is the winner over these truths. 
And hopefully we all know that God through Jesus Christ is going to be the winner. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org.